This episode is brought to you by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Josh Siegel. With global climate talks underway at COP27 in Egypt, one of the big questions dividing rich nations and developing nations is whether a loss and damage fund will be created. That new separate pool of money would be collected from rich nations that have historically contributed to climate change and given to countries that have already suffered irreversible climate damage. And on Wednesday, the European Union signaled an openness to creating that fund. And by doing so, that shifted the spotlight to the United States, which has been less clear on its position. So today we check in with Politico Zach Coleman, who's in Egypt covering COP27, about the state of loss and damage negotiations and if the EU's new stance shifts the momentum. It's Thursday, November 17th. So, Zach, after years of hesitancy, the European Union came out this week saying a loss and damage fund should be considered. So what did they say and how could it provide momentum on this issue that's really predominant at the COP conference? Yeah, I mean, this is the biggest issue at the COP. So what the EU said was essentially that there should be a roadmap at the end of this COP that lasts for one year with a resolution at the next COP where this loss and damage fund is one of the options that's considered. So that's an affirmation of a fund. And that's a little bit different than what the U.S. has done. Now, this is not the EU saying they want a fund, but they're saying it should definitely be on the table. Interesting. So this puts the spotlight on the United States, which hasn't been as clear about its position on loss and damage. And you actually got to speak with Special Climate Envoy John Kerry at the COP. So what did he say about loss and damage specifically? You know, he came out and said quite a bit of the same what he has been saying, which is the U.S. is open to a conversation about loss and damage, but there are many different options for a financing facility, a financing arrangement that are being worked through and that there hasn't been a decision on what works best for everyone. So what you hear there is sort of All options remain on the table, but it is not an affirmation of any one option, which is different than the EU, which has now drawn a distinction that, yes, they want a fund on the table. Interesting. And yeah, so how could this development potentially break an impasse here with these talks? Well, what climate vulnerable countries really want is this fund. I mean, they want money because they need it to be new and additional to all the other things that rich countries have promised, like money for climate mitigation, which is reducing emissions, and money for climate adaptation, which is adjusting to the effects of climate change. Loss and damage is something completely different. It's paying for irreversible climate change, things that you've lost, migration, land that you can't live on anymore because the seas have risen too much. So that is a separate thing. So this fund, at least the idea that you could get there, is something that could maybe bring vulnerable climate vulnerable countries to the table and in some sort of compromise. This is a little bit different what the EU has proposed than the US as well in terms of timelines. That's something I forgot to mention earlier. The EU wants this decision made by next COP. The US actually wants to do it no later than 2024, which in UN speak really means all throughout 2024. It could be earlier, but 
it could be a two-year process based on what the U.S. is talking about. So there is a compromise position here by the EU of let's have it on the table. Let's do it faster than what other rich countries wanted and agreed to last year at last COP. This is something that maybe could bring climate vulnerable countries to the table and, and see a partner on the other side of it. Also, on Wednesday, the Environmental Protection Agency's Independent Inspector General launched a pair of investigations into the drinking water crisis in Jackson, Mississippi. One investigation will focus on how EPA responded to the crisis at a federal level, and the other will be an audit examining how funding and spending decisions at the state and local levels also impacted the crisis. This now marks the third federal entity to investigate how residents in Jackson, a majority black city, were subjected to more than 300 boil water orders in the past two years, and how this summer, residents were left without drinking water for days. And the Ukrainian government is warning its Western allies that it's anticipating increased Russian attacks on its energy infrastructure in the coming days, and that it does not have enough replacement parts to bring heat and power back online if those attacks do occur. That's according to two congressional officials and one Western official briefed on classified U.S. intelligence reports who spoke to Politico. Ukrainian officials say an unreliable energy sector could have deadly consequences for the country. It could lead to a prolonged period with limited electricity and gas, and as a result, it could halt food production and transport operations. Both critical services needed to support military operations. Ukrainian officials said they've already asked their American counterparts in more than half a dozen European countries for assistance in preparation. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com slash power switch. And subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show is composed of a mysterious breakmaster cylinder. I'm Josh Siegel, and we'll see you back tomorrow. This episode is brought to you by Chevron the human energy company. Did you know that Chevron is working with partners in California to convert the methane from cow waste into renewable natural gas that one day can help fuel trucks across the nation? Find out more at chevron.com rng.